0: Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play podcast. We talk about buying, selling, managing, financing, small, medium-sized businesses. Got a bit of a discussion panel again here today. We've got Mike Finger from Exit Oasis. Mike, how are you doing tonight?
1: Uh, very good. Glad to be here.
0: And we got Michael Kerr. Michael, you're from Australia. Why don't you give us the name of your company and tell us a little bit about you?
2: Thanks, David. Uh, Michael Kerr from Kerr Capital, um, based um, near Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. So, uh, uh, really happy to be on the call with you two gents.
0: Well, it, it's I'm, I'm glad that you two both came on because, Michael, you currently work with clients helping them to transition in and out of businesses. Mike, you're a former business broker and you work with people now to help them prepare their business to exit. And, you know, i I make videos online and I work with clients on a consulting basis to help them with the same things, helping them exit and helping people buy businesses. And we got together today because we wanted to have a little talk about business brokers and the business brokerage industry. And um, what was really interesting is that uh, someone that we all know, uh, Clinton Lee over in the UK, um, did an analysis of a publicly traded business broker over in the UK Uh, They're called K3 Capital. And here are a couple of amazing tidbits from the analysis of their their statements, publicly traded. So I have to issue a report every year. So these guys um, had revenues of over 13 million pounds. Over 8 million pounds of that revenue was engagement fees. So the fees they charge people to sign up to list their business for sale, that's 60% of their revenue only 5.5 million pounds came from success fees, the actual commissions paid when they satisfied one of their customers. And what Clinton did is he, he worked through the numbers to figure out what number of businesses we're talking about. And at the end of the day, he says that it looks like they sold 44 businesses out of a thousand they were trying to sell, which is a wow. 4% success rate. And Mike you uh, quite often repeat the statistic uh what which website is it from
1: uh, well i've seen uh, i've seen statistics for com where uh, less than 20% of businesses listed for sale actually sell well, so obviously 4% the 4%
0: is much lower is consistent with less than 20% yeah. right <laughs> that's right <laughs> so so why now you know you know and then i started to think about the the 3 years when i owned my office and at different times in our book between me and up to 3 associate brokers at at one time we had probably close to 30 listings we were lucky to do 5 6 i think one year we might have done 8 or 9 deals but but we we crossed that 20% line i think but it's not every business is it and, and this is one of the things that I think we want to talk about here today is is that a lot of these businesses they're not being sold and why do we think that is?
1: you know it's funny I saw I, I wrote an article a while back after I saw an ad from a brokerage down in Texas and they advertised a 95 percent success rate they sold 95 percent. And as you scroll down their website near the bottom, they listed the criterias for businesses that they would take. You know, it was, had to be more than $5 million in revenue, had to have seller's discretionary earnings over a half million dollars. I mean, just the cream of the crop diamond, uh, you know, jewel business for sale. And, you know, they got that 95% rate. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a it's a, brutal statistic that 20% or less when you talk to small business owners, uh I think that's reflective of, of both the quality of the of the businesses that get signed up and the quality of the brokerage service. I don't know what to say about four percent though. That's, uh, that's well, brutal.
0: well, I think this is this is the subjective part of the conversation that other people may agree or disagree with us about because the, the, there are two very big factors here. Is it are the businesses not good? Number one, or number two are the brokers who get the listings not doing a proper job at representing them, setting expectations, you know, all the work that the broker does in order to get the business sold? Because I'll tell you, I see a lot of things um, that I gave you guys an example before the call. Um, A fella in uh, in the Northeast uh, hired me to review a CBP with him. And so this is a business profile put together by a brokerage firm. And I went through the CBP. There were about seven different items of concern that lead me to believe that the discretionary cash flow is probably overstated by about $200,000. And this is a, a manufacturing type of business with a lot of equipment. And so, <coughs> excuse me, if if a business like that, and they can often in the States, especially with SBA financing, push that 4X EBITDA kind of pricing category. If, if my concerns are valid, that means that, you know, that's an $800,000 price difference. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Huge. Right. It's,
2: um, it's an, it's an awful lot of money and you know, it's um you know, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, the um, those numbers from Clinton are, are just extraordinary. And there's a lot of uh, hope in, in all of you know, those owners to uh, uh, To believe that um, those numbers are real, uh, uh, the, the the valuation is real. I don't think they often don't put enough um, emphasis on their own analysis to really, you know, do the pub test. Is this a? You know, am I likely to sell this business? It, it, would I pay for this? <laughs> I mean, that's a it's a pretty good question back to owners as to whether they would pay it. I well, know, at the time they wouldn't.
0: But here's the interesting thing: Do business brokers? And here's, here's a question for you guys. Do business brokers have an interest in telling someone they have an unsellable business?
1: You know, it's a great question. I, I'd tag another one on, uh, onto that. Is it ethical for a business broker to take a listing they don't think they can sell? Hmm. Uh, I've, I've, I've posed question. that question to brokers before and you know, we've, we've all dealt with business owners that want a list period, right? Or, or they want to sell. They don't really care about sellability at, at, at this point because they have to sell. Mm. Um, they're desperate. And so uh, Michael, is is it ethical for a business broker to take a listing? They don't think they can sell. You're the active broker here in the group.
2: No, look, I, I, uh, it's, it's a tough one to say, whether it's, you know, ethical I you know, there are desperate sellers and, you know, there are good, some good brokers who want to try and help them. But, but in the end, I, I look at it more from through the frame of, um, how much time and effort am I going to put into that? You know, yeah. trying to sell a business that's, that's just, that I know is unassailable. I uh, my, my personal approach is to say, look, I, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, I'd rather not engage I'd love to help you but I'd rather not engage because I just don't see it I've been through too many of those sales that have extended for so long and um so more you know at that level I um what I what I'm starting to see a lot of in Australia now is you know is exit planning so the the question back to the owner is it's not sellable do you if you have to sell next month um well you know you can you can have it you know Maybe you've got to come up with a plan, um, but if otherwise, is there? Can you reset and and perhaps think about a few? Uh, it doesn't have to be a full-scale exit plan, but a but a a review of the business to make it a, a little bit more um, saleable. Um, it, it, that's all a function of time, and um, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a really um, you know. In the end, I wouldn't do it principally because it just would would chew up too much time, and 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 I, you know, it's an empty feeling to you know, uh, get to the end and say, like, we haven't got it sold. Um, Mm. and knowing that you knew that at the start.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because, because I, I, I think that if a broker and I'm just recalling my broker days and, and really how things changed for me, because as we know, in this industry, there's a lot of people that come and go because they get lured in by the promise of the big commission checks when they sell a business, you know, 10, 12% type of commissions are pretty common. Um, so people get drawn into it, but it takes a couple of years before someone can get good. So when I first got into it, I was part of a franchise network and um, I was coached to get as many listings as you can initially because the more things you have on the book, the more buyers will step forward to take a look at them. Even if you know you can't sell them because you need the buyers. And once you have a big enough buyer list, then you can use that to attract the good listings. And so if you think about the business brokers business, you know, so trying to get money through the door to pay the bills and and, and there's two ways to do that. As we've learned here from the UK, the engagement fees are really important and then the success fees are the big checks, but there aren't as many of them. Right? So, so from the point of view of the business brokers business, you know, yeah, they would take listings. That they don't think are sellable, but that means that may that necessarily their interests are not fully aligned with those of the seller, which is the biggest selling point of being a broker, is saying, "Hey, you know, I earn more when I sell your business for more of this, so we're in this together." But maybe they're not really.
1: Absolutely, like, you know, it's so interesting. It, it, your your original question flashed a, a picture in my mind, and I, I, I flashed back to when I was a brand new broker. Mm-hmm. And in the firm I was with, uh, they set up a mentoring relationship with a more senior broker. And we, I, I would, I'd be making cold calls and I'd set up an appointment and I had to bring the mentor along. And I'd be sitting with that, with that owner. And within about four minutes, I would glance over at the, uh, the, mentoring, uh, the mentor broker who was out of the owner's uh, eye shot. And he would just have this pained look on his face. And he'd start he'd start mouthing, get me out of here as fast as you can. Where here I am trying to earnestly engage this seller because I want the listing, right? That's what I've been taught and trained. I want the listing. The mentor, the senior broker, he wanted to sell a business and he knew that guy wasn't going to give him that opportunity. So every second he spent talking to that business owner was wasted time. Whereas Uh, for me, I was all about it. How do I get this listing?
0: And that's where I ended up because after a while I began to realize I don't want to sit and talk with buyers about the listing of the thing that I know is never going to pass muster for anyone they talk to about it. Like, you know, the banker will never approve it. Their lawyer and accountant will poke holes in it. And so why would I waste the time? And, Mm -hmm. and, And I think that's where you eventually get but it took me a while to learn that I was pretty green and in an industry with so much turnover, there's a lot of green people. Yep. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I'm a firm believer that if I go to sell a business and I'm looking for a broker, gray hair is part of the criteria I'm looking for. I'm I'm looking for someone who's been around long enough, which will kill the industry, right? Because you got to have new people and, and those folks are out there um, looking for those listings, but, It's part of where the trouble is when we say, should a broker, well, should a second day broker, will they be making the same decisions as someone who's been in the industry for 15 years? Of course not. Hmm. And, and what's right for either one of them.
0: So I mean, there's another party here, right? There's, there's the broker and then there's the business owner. And I, I can recall back when I used to have my business brokerage office, um, there were two competitors in my market. And one of them charged a much lower commission rate than I did. And another one tended to overvalue businesses. And so I would lose listings to both of those guys because people would want, either want to save money on the commission or the, they believed the story that they'd be able to get more money if they went with the other guys. And eventually a lot of those people came back to me after their agreements had expired a year later. It didn't, it wasn't helpful for those people because now they're a year behind where they wanted to be in, in their, in their exit journey. Um, but what, you know, what should these business owners be doing? Are, are they not trying to do enough to qualify the people that they're working with? What do you think, Michael?
2: Uh, look, I have taken the approach in, in the last six or seven years as I've evolved my business that, um, the owners, um, if the owner wants good advice about what their business might be worth, is it saleable? They, um, they, they need to pay an expert. To, to do that. And, and so, you know, the structure of my engagements is um, fees up front, not for advertising, um, mm-hmm. but for, uh, and I, I'll, I'll look owners in the eye and say, if you want me to sell your business, it starts with me being convinced I know uh, a lot about the business, enough to, to, you know, be able to have a good conversation with a potential buyer. And I become your advocate because. Um, you've paid me to give some expert advice. You're listening to my advice. I think the challenge is that a lot of owners, and it's probably fueled by the, the whole business, broking transactional model that you can, you, there's a shortcut, which is just to put it up online and, you know, and, and the sooner mm. you do that, the sooner you are likely to get in front of a buyer. So
0: I think, you think there's a reluctance to pay for the advice that they, even though they have to pay something to the broker often, as, as we learned from the UK example, um it's it's still less of an investment there they're they're they're, they're going to have to pay the broker, but it 's okay on that day they 'll have a lot of money they hope
2: uh, unquestionably it, it it you put it off until later and you know if i if I get the this big price that we're we 're advertising for i don 't mind paying ten you know five whatever percent um but it's um you know the the numbers i i 'm just blown away by that analysis that that Clinton has done, and it tells me that um, you know the success rate is. You know the actual conversion rate is so low that owners need to start to think about if I do want to sell, and I'm uh, I, I need to invest in some quality advice, and mm. um, and, and um, so that that that. So I I see this in two parts. So the broking model, the broking industry needs to evolve, but also owners need to uh, see that um, they need to invest in what is often the biggest financial transaction of their life outside of a house. Um, uh, you know, a business I can dwarf that and, and it's, you just got to invest in, in getting it right. So.
0: Well, you know, and, and Mike, that's the focus of your practice now is, is, you know, what happens before the the transaction, what happens before you go out to try and sell and you, you gave a little example before we started the the call of, you know, a woman who had a misunderstanding about what her business might be worth. Maybe you can, you can talk a little bit about that. What, what do you see most often when you're meeting with people? Oh yeah. It, uh, you know, I, I,
1: I mentioned, I, I came from a meeting earlier today with, uh, Uh, with a small business owner that encapsulated every misconception that a small business owner can have about selling their business. And she threw them at me in such rapid fire uh, (laughs) uh, order that I I just got shell shocked. I had, I'd heard them all before, but never in, in that, uh, um, convincing and optimistic way. She, she was just so sure she was going to sell her business and the numbers are just completely out of whack. Um, I talk to business brokers, and every time I meet a new business broker, one of the questions I ask them is, what percentage of owners that you talk to have businesses that are unsellable? And when we get into that main street, which is where most of the customers I work with are in that main street uh, size, uh, the brokers consistently tell me that nine out of 10 uh, prospects that they talk to are unsellable. And that's consistent with the experience that I have, uh, you know, Michael, to what you, what you mentioned earlier, I think my bias, my belief is that most small business owners believe they're going to be able to sell their business once they decide to. And most of them see that as being the decision, the decision of when I want to sell. They never ask, will I be able to sell? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is is the the fundamental difference. And you, you, Michael, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, them running into and, and saying, "How do I? How do I do this? How do you? they got to ask the question?" And so, yeah, it's a it's a consistent um, challenge, and it's such a big financial uh, opportunity. That most of us as small business owners don't get to take advantage of. David, you you must have seen that all the time in your brokerage.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, you know, one of the one of the things I believe is a problem here is that is the perception of what it is they're selling. So you know, a a lot of people have experienced buying and selling cars privately. Maybe they sold a home with an agent or without. So they they've bought and sold things before and they kind of think that selling the business is the same sort of thing and one of the one of the th- concepts that i try to get across to people uh, particularly when i'm when i'm doing live workshops and things is i say a business isn't a thing you can't take a photograph of a business you can take a photograph of a building you can take a picture of a storefront take a picture of inventory you can take a picture of people working but you can't take a picture of a business because a business is a system it's where You know, Capital in the form of inventory, cash, receivables works together with machinery and equipment in a location on a premises or online. And these things work together according to a system. All the people are doing their bit to make things happen so that customers get their problems solved or get their goods delivered and a cash flow is created for the owner. And because it's a system and not a thing like a car or a truck or a house, it's extremely fragile because if any of the players start to do anything wrong then the whole the cash flow starts to turn off right things things start to go sideways and and this is why small businesses sell for such low multiples is because it's very risky there's so much that can go on to screw up that fragile system but for most of these owners you know they look around and they don't see a system they see you know a muffler shop and and they think it's just like selling a house. So when they when they see the person who's got business broker up on their sign or on their business card, they it's just like walking into a law firm and you say, you know, I need a lawyer because I want to get a contract made. Very few people are then going to drill the lawyer on his capability in creating a contract because they probably don't have the the knowledge to to test the lawyer on the ability, right? And it's the same kind of thing when they go out and meet a business broker is Maybe they even want to test the guy's knowledge or ability, but they don't know what kinds of questions to ask. You know, if they go online and find this conversation, they're going to be so far ahead. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, one
1: of the things that I advocate for is I think a small business owner should have a conversation with a business broker every year they own the business, get that free valuation that the broker wants to throw them their way, steal an education from a broker, do it, year after year, the next year, talk to a different broker, the next year, you know, invest the four or five hours it's going to take to give them your financials. And, and in my experience, if you tell brokers, Hey, I'm not sure I'm interested in selling, but I want to learn more about the process and understand more of what you do. Brokers are happy to engage that conversation and provide that education because they're expanding their network. They're meeting a potential customer. Um, You do that three, four, five years in a row. Now you decide I'm ready to sell. Your ability to sit down with a broker is dramatic. I was coaching a client the other day and uh, they got to the selling spot. We went through an interview process with brokers. We actually brought the brokers in one after the other in an interview process. The brokers hated it, Mm -hmm. but in terms of the ability to compare and contrast and hear different answers one after the other, it was a fabulous way for that owner to select the broker, which they did and had a very successful outcome. So, um, yeah, it's,
0: um, now the the other dynamic that happens here, because it, it sounds like in your market, you've got a lot of active offices competing with each other. Yes. Yeah. So what was interesting is that in my market, there were three firms and in a lot of places that I would reach out to, you know, sort of the hour drive away kind of thing, there really wasn't much in the way of competition at all. And it was interesting because what I found is that I ended up competing with alternatives a lot. So people would not even know there was such a thing as a business broker and they would list their business for sale with a real estate agent or something like this. And, um, I just, I, I saw so many absolutely horrible situations. Uh, I, I, I made a video about it years ago here on the channel. But just the, the the tragic consequences, you know, um, I can think of a, a dry cleaner where a real estate agent put a for sale sign right in front of it and it put them out of business. Oh, I bet. Because people driving along thought they were closed, you know. Brutal.
2: The, reg- the regional areas in Australia um, you know, suffer. You know, the um, brokers won't, you know, why would you travel two or three hours to sell a, a small business um, have to do the site tours or whatever you might. So it's a real issue, and, and we still have a pretty vibrant regional economy. But um, the the local real estate agents dominate the towns, and they um, they know what's going on, and, and they're almost a, the go-to broker um, because there's no other choice, and they have such high visibility. But it doesn't mm-hmm. do the business owners any favors at all, and you know. I, I, you mentioned earlier, David. This, um, the businesses are so in, you know are intangible. Um, I think st- still a lot of people make this mistake. I've sold a car before. I've sold a house before. Um, how different can it be to sell a business? And one of the you know the the massive gaps is sell a car, sell a house. You, you've got pretty detailed and rich information about what similar commodities sold for. Um, yes. Where do you go for quality information about what a what a business actually sold for? Uh, it's really it's really tough,
1: Michael. That's why you go to a broker
2: <laughs> who, who looks around and says, "Hmm." <laughs> so, this is what always you know fascinates me. It's um you know you can, and we all we've all done it. And do I do I put a two and a half multiple on this business or a three and a half and we, I think you can get to a point where you understand the, in your terms, SDE, or in we we have, you know, there are different bottom line measures. But ultimately, if you swing towards two and a half or three and a half on a a three hundred thousand dollar bottom line business, that's an awful lot of money. And you know that it's a it's a pretty fine line. But you know between two and a half and three and a half is you know it's subjective. Um, yeah. But yeah, certainly you do, you do go. Um, and talk to people like us um, and, and, and the good guys will give you, you know, an honest perspective of what they think they could.
0: The, the saddest conversations I have are, is this one. It's where somebody goes online, they find my stuff on, on YouTube and then they reach out to me and they say, I've been trying to sell my business for two years. I've gone through two different brokers or I've been with the same guy for two listing engagements and I need your help because it's not selling. And then I'll say, well, I can't help you unless I do an evaluation. So they'll send in their financials and information. I'll put it into my model and I'll do some work on it. And I'll come back to them and I'll say, well, you know, from quick look, here's what what I can tell you is I think it's worth about this. And I think that these are the likely terms of sale and you're probably going to have to finance part of it for the buyer and, and all this kind of thing. Worst possible thing I've ever heard wow, the first person that made an offer offered something similar to that, but I didn't know that was a reasonable deal, right? They had the exit, the door was open, but they didn't know to go through. And the the broker they were working with had created an expectation that they were going to get more. And so they thought, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to wait for somebody else. And other people came, but nobody ever came with what they were looking for. And it's 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 really unfortunate because... Of course, that buyer has gone off to do something else. Right. right.
2: I think, you know, knowing, knowing who, um, what a good buyer looks like, aside from the value, if it's the right, t- understanding enough to know it's the right time for them, that they, they're, whatever they're doing with the business makes sense. Maybe they're bolting it on or adding it into another bigger business. Maybe they're just recently unemployed and they desperately need to get a, you know, some cash flow, And mm. that's, often um, where you miss out by just not understanding enough about who the buyer really is. And, and, you know, if it's a, looks like a pretty good deal, you know, you'd be tempted to, to advise your owner to, to take it because uh, if you've got that understanding of that, the buyer's really got a good reason to buy it.
0: It's, it's definitely a tough business. And I know that there are some good brokers who seem to do a good job helping buyers and sellers and they've been doing it for a long time and they probably earn a great income for themselves. I just, I find it's so difficult because oftentimes it seems like it's a good chance that a seller ends up finding one of those guys, you know, that the majority of the people that they meet maybe aren't delivering that kind of quality of service. Um, Mike, you said you had a really competitive environment there out of the field of brokers that are operating, and it's it's the Minneapolis area, is it?
1: Uh the twin cities, yeah, Minneapolis, yeah. St. Paul.
0: So so out of the brokers you've met in that market, like how many would you say are really great qualified people?
1: Oh, you know, it's inter- it's a it's a great question. I, I wouldn't even speculate uh, on a on a percentage. What of course I've done is to try to collect a bouquet of fabulous. Brokers, right? You know, mm-hmm. this one does boutique stuff. This one's really good at Main Street. This one will, you know, deal with something that's a little stranger. Because what what you want is to make that right connection. Um, mm-hmm. The the scary part, and again, I lived it from the other side. The scary part is when I started as a broker, I had I had. Uh, owned my own business for 15 years. I sold it successfully. I had a lot of knowledge about that process from doing it myself and the training I'd received, but um, there were much more qualified brokers in the brokerage that I was with. Right. And again, that's where that mentoring relationship came from. Um, Again, I I just, there's no, there's no button, right? There's no, they don't wear the right, they don't wear a sticker on their chest that says a, a, a certain, it's about talking to a half dozen um, over a long period of time and, and understanding what it means to, to, to do that job and, and to hear people. To, I mean, there's nothing like interviewing brokers and, and hearing one say they'd sell it for 300 one sell it for 300 and then somebody says they'll sell it for 750 <laughs> Right? Wait a minute. What's going on? Well, you know how, and, and it's really easy to get excited about the 750, but when you start comparing it against some more reasonable numbers, yeah. but you don't get that if you don't compare some shops. So,
0: Mike, if your office had um, some more experienced people who had more seasoning and, and, and everything, why did you join the team or why were you brought into the team?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, they were looking to grow. They wanted more activity. I, w- I was interested in joining the industry. I mean, it's, it's no different than anything else, right? You go to a restaurant, you get a waiter on the first day, chances are you're going to get a glass of water in your lap.
0: Well, um, you see, the reason I asked the question, I was trying to set you up a little bit. because Did you set me up? I did because <laughs> I think it's very different from the restaurant because the waiter on his first day still gets paid.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: And and what what I've observed over and over again is that, um, because of the model that business brokerages operate under, is you know the the office owner has got every reason to bring as many new brokers in as he can. That's a good point. Now he's got more people to knock on doors, and the, and the owner doesn't have to pay them unless they sell something, right? And so it it it's part of feeding that churn. Right. And new people keep getting pulled in and they're shown the, you know, the fabulous results that the stars have achieved, you know, the the great sales figures and commission earnings and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, you know, and I've, I mean, I've been a part of presenting that to people when I had my office, you know, here's what you can do. You know, you got to do all these deliver this many letters and make this many cold calls and you're going to meet these many people and eight months from now, you're going to sell your first listing Except for some people, they spend 18 months and they don't sell anything. And so they, they, have that, they have that churn. And what I found was interesting is that every time I had the opportunity to bring someone in who you know, used to do consulting with Deloitte or used to like be a part of the big accounting firms or, or used to be part of uh, you know, the consulting wing of the big business development bank we have here in Canada, you know, they would come in and they would get excited, but then they would never sign on. And, and I always felt like my office could have really benefited from some of those people, but I couldn't, you know, offer them a six figure salary from the beginning. Right. And so, and I think this is part of the industry's problem is that the people who come in have to be willing to work for free until they can create success for themselves and then it, it creates that culture of hunter sales, you know, there's all kinds of negative connotations you can create. But but it's like, now you got to go kill. You got to go find them. You got to list them and you got to sell them. And it's go, go, go. And it isn't necessarily an environment that that is conducive to that collaborative educational consulting work that I think a lot of business owners would really benefit from.
2: There's a lot in those um, big brokerage uh, firms in Australia. Um, the the model is essentially volume driven. Uh, if I'm at the top of the tree, I'll take 50% of whatever you know a broker down the line sells. So, I've I've paid for massive advertising. I've got a you know a huge web infrastructure, and, and the, it just you know you pile on the listings because it you know the chances of selling something. Uh, increase and if you're at the top of the tree you know that's okay if you're down the bottom and and you're making your way it you know if it's it's really because it is a to do it well it, it's a craft it takes time to sell a business mm-hmm. like you know it's not a a month to month thing it's a you know it's often a you know a year or or, or two process and um so it, it's got to be a particular kind of person that wants to you know um learn the trade uh, you know and, and has the capacity to last you know that sort of amount of time before they really make um, you know some big commission checks. I think one of the developments in the industry has got to be uh, the breaking down you know, and explaining to owners that the sale process isn't hit and miss it's it starts with a bit of um, evaluation as you said Mike you know on a regular basis and maybe there are just got to drive this idea that you got to pay for some expert advice um and so brokers can earn um some they've got they can bring an awful lot of experience to any business owner about the process whether there's a sale or not they can still advise the owner uh, and and give them a lot of good value and they've got to be a bit you know creative and, and stronger in saying well that that advice is valuable even if you're not selling tomorrow um we can help steer the steer your business in in the right direction. So, you know, I think introducing different revenue streams from valuation Mm -hmm. or just, you know, a a chat about what's in front of an owner and went you know, for a fee is, is where we're going to head.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree. And I, and there are even some outfits out there that are almost, that are, they're selling, um, they're licensing systems for analyzing and helping entrepreneurs develop their business and everything, because they see this as a big opportunity to put a tool into the tool chest of brokers to try to earn some money working with these people, yeah. you know, in the lead up to a sale, kind of like what you're doing, Mike, um, with, it, uh, with your exit work. It's a
1: really interesting cultural question though, because for many of those brokerages, they're looking at asking hunters to farm yeah. and that's not something that they do very well. So uh, that, that, that has to be an interesting challenge for that, uh, um, that kind of culture to add that kind of service.
0: I, I think that's a great point. You know, is it, is it then a mismatch in delivering that, you know, and, and quite frankly, I think it's amazing what you did in your example where you're working with the business owner to help them get ready. And then you bring through the, the brokers to interview. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing that before.
1: I got to tell you the brokers didn't like it. In fact, I had it's funny the 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 the, the broker that ended up with the listing told me he wasn't going to participate and I ended up calling the owner of the brokerage and telling him what I was doing, telling him what the opportunity was. He talked the broker into coming and that broker ended up getting the listing and selling the business. But yeah, they the, they didn't, they didn't want anything about that. But from my perspective, the opportunity from the owner was huge. I mean, it, it, any business I'd ever been in, if we put out a, a RFP request for proposal, we, we want to get competing bids. We want to compare and contrast. Yep. That's not what the brokerages want. They want to, you to believe that they're the only broker, and uh, that's... That's not the world we live in. I, I I do a Google search for a certain broker because I don't I lost their phone number, and their competitor's name comes up first. That's we don't live in a world of exclusivity anymore. There better be a competitive uh, advantage in what they present, and that was a great process for them to be able to see it.
0: Well, you know, it, it ta- talking about how they don't like to be in that competitive process, they want to be the only one. It's almost like. Um, well, it's exactly like my experience with things like some of the uh, the life insurance industry type of things or even mutual fund and investing where the focus is never on products so much as it is on sales strategies and techniques for networking and, you know, that person to person, you know, I'm the guy that you like and trust because of, you know, all these human reasons rather than I can demonstrate you know the product to the best efficiency. Uh, I've I've seen that in those other industries too. It's almost kind of a parallel. Interesting. Yeah.
2: It's a, I was going to say, Mike, that idea of um, you know positioning an owner to mm. to do some some more work, your exit planning, and then and select from a list of you know curated list of potential brokers is a really you know, it really builds this idea that it's a, such an important decision to pick the right advisor. And when I mean, if you go through, I've been through lots of business sales. You know, quite a few that happen. You know, have taken years, and sometimes they don't even get there. But you go through an awful lot with an owner if you're invested in helping them achieve their sale. And and I it's it's like you, you've got all the financial stuff to deal with. You've got you, and if you do it well, you probably. Um, become their their most trusted advisor through that critical, you know, one or two years, and even even over and above their accountant and lawyer, because they'll they'll come in and um, provide specialist tax advice or you know you know expert advice. But you know, a good broker leads the owner through a you know a pretty traumatic, emotional, mm-hmm. you know, significant process. So I think you you know you want to pick you want to pick well. They're going to have the competencies, but also the um, you know, you want to, you want to be able to work effectively with them. And I love the idea that you, you have a panel and, you know, you put it on the owner to say, well, they'd be the best choice for me.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the nice thing about it is I knew all the brokers that came, I felt they were all qualified technically, right. but I didn't know who the owner was going to click with. Hmm. And and that process gave them the opportunity. So yeah, it was a, it was an interesting learn for, for the broker and for the, for the owner. And, and for me, it's, it's a, uh, but I think any owner can do that, and, and, and I think they should be doing that on a regular basis. If the first broker you meet is the one what you list with, you are just rolling the dice, because how could you possibly evaluate uh, based on that little experience?
2: Yeah, uh, well, and, and equally, if, they, if the, the quick advice back is, you should sell with us, because we, we sell lots of businesses, and, and uh, pick a number. We'll, we'll have a crack at selling your business for whatever you think. I mean, that's just lazy. <laughs> and Boy. that's
1: where the 4% number comes from, right? It bringing does. us back full circle. <sighs>
0: yeah, I, I think so, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, th- this has been an awesome conversation. And uh, wh- why don't we, we sign off? Michael, uh, down in Australia, why don't you let us know um, what your website address is, how people can reach you if they'd like to learn more about you?
2: Thank you, David. Um, www.kerrcapital.com.au is where I hang out online. Um, And uh, really appreciate the opportunity, David, to have a chat today. Um, If anybody's got any queries about businesses down in Australia or New Zealand, feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome. Then thanks for joining us. Uh, We we had to juggle time zones and stuff because I think the three of us Cover half the globe, so and, and, and Mike uh, I think I got what, out of it <laughs> <laughs> And Mike Finger, how can people
1: reach you? Uh, I'm at exitoasis.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name again is Mike Finger. so yeah, connect um,
0: love to uh, love to meet new people. and of course, I'm David C. Barnett and you can find me at davidcbarnett.com and if you haven't already, come on over and sign up for the email list. So you'll never miss one of these awesome and sometimes controversial videos. With that, we'll see you later, guys. Bye.